All right, welcome to episode three of I Love You, Man, the Men's Mental Health Podcast. Um, Here with What do you think about this episode? Chris and Nate. Oh, yeah, Chris and Nate. Let us introduce ourselves. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's we're, such we're a good episode. New. I want to get to it. It's only episode three. We're, we're still figuring out what we're doing. We're working on it. One day we'll be professionals. <laughs> I give it episode 20 before we like really start kicking off. Podcast professionals, not health professionals. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> no, we're not going to school. We are not licensed professionals. <laughs> unless podcast wants to give us a license. We'll win some awards. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so what did you think of this episode? It was a good one. Uh, it was a it was a catch up and a coming forth with an old buddy of mine from boot camp. Um, well, he wasn't in boot camp with us. Uh, Nate's from boot camp. This guy I met in my secondary schooling. Uh, he had the same job title as me, the same rate. We were both mine men, military ordinance members. And um, yeah, I just knew he had a unique story to tell. I know he yeah. had gone through some dark spots. And uh, I, it was just a really good, a really good chat. Really a good lot of chat. things in there I'm sure you weren't expecting. Yeah, because, you know, that's that's common for us men. Even the people closest to you in those times, you don't really know everything about their life. It was, it was a pretty dark episode, so I'm going to put a, a trigger warning uh, in front of this, like we always do. Um, once again, we are not licensed professionals, but, uh, Chris, the whole reason we started this podcast is to get others mental health and therapy. And you started yesterday. How was that? It was, uh, <laughs> it was a teledoc. So it was a, it was a zoom meeting and I tried my best to like, make it like the shrinks I see on TV. So I, I got in my bed, I laid down, I put my pillows up, high up. So I, I felt like I was laying down and she was talking to me. It, it was good. I felt relaxed more so than I thought I would. Um, there was something about talking to someone that kind of made me pour out more than I was initially expecting. I really thought I was going to go a different route with this and I didn't. And, you know, I was kind of surprised. Um, if you can, if you can sit there and I thought I did. Yeah, absolutely. There's always stuff that we bury down and forget. Uh, if you can sit there and have that conversation with a stranger, you know, then we can do this podcast because, you know, you bring in a guest, I bring in a guest, or it's just someone random who wants to tell their story. One of us are going to be strangers, yep. you know, and it takes a lot of courage to tell that kind of stuff and to admit that kind of stuff. And if you can find the right person, you can really help your mental health. Yep. Yep. A lot of therapy is ongoing for almost everybody that's in it. There's some people that'll never stop going to therapy because that, that one extra resource to, to get your mental gymnastics, that little mental muscle flexed is, is important. You know, and some people that's going to be the only person they have to bounce stuff off of. And that's OK, too, because sometimes exactly. it's it's too much for our loved ones. Exactly. Well, Chris, I'm very proud of you for stepping up and getting the help they need. Uh, 
And without further ado, I just want to say I love you, man. And let's get started with our podcast. Yep. This will be Nate, Chris, and Zach for the next, oh, I'd say, hour and 30 minutes. So um, buckle in. Yep. It's a wild ride. I try to make some jokes to lighten the mood and it doesn't work well so let me know if you can feel the tension (laughs) all right guys all right enjoy all right ladies and gentlemen welcome back to another episode of i love you man the men's mental health podcast i'm your host nate and i'm your co-host chris I think we're both co-hosts. I don't think we're, you could have just said you're a host. Partners, mutual partners in destruction. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Today's an exciting episode. You've heard our stories and now it's time for the whole reason of this podcast. It's to bring in a guest. Yeah, to bring in a guest. Thank you. We'll let him introduce himself. We're really excited uh, to have him and get him started on the path towards mental health help. Uh, Chris, are you ready? Yeah. Let's do it. All right. First ever podcast. <laughs> it's <laughs> exciting. Right. Yeah, now it you is. could be one of those guys. Hey, you can hear me on a podcast. Go check out my podcast I was on. Yeah, that yeah. can be your conversation starter for every single party. That's I'll be telling people for me. Go to Wendy's. Hey, man, uh, <laughs> by the way, I'm on a podcast. Just start <laughs> handing out business cards. Yep. <laughs> hey, yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, so we talked to you a little bit about what we want to do. Have you heard an episode before? Uh, I've got about halfway through one of them. Uh, it, it, typically, I'm pretty good about getting through some podcasts throughout the week, but it's been a little bit hectic this week. So, uh, cut down to the essentials in life. It's going to be real exciting when you get to listen to your own because we listen to them back, and it's like, <laughs> wow! Like I forgot I even said that. Yeah, it, yeah. I I don't know if I want to listen to it back. I might just let it go and let people tell me about it when it's all <laughs> <Yeah>. over with. <laughs> Well, it's always an option. So, have you mentally prepared yourself for this? I think as much as I can. Um, this actually happened at a really good time because I'm kind of coming out of uh, a bit of a rough mental health spot. So, this is uh, this is a good time for this. So, I, everything's fresh and uh, it can definitely share some wisdom with people hopefully yeah but uh i didn't hear did you guys give my name or anything or is this just like this is zach this is uh, okay okay my, my buddy from the navy um my first interaction was me being a little bit of an insensitive asshole and i said hey you look like uh that asshole from scary movie officer doofy <laughs> that was our first meeting yeah yeah it was like negative 30 wind chill out. We were freezing our fucking balls off. Marching. Why would you need to march when it's that cold? There's no re- there's no sense in it. Oh Dude, lord. I hated Chicago, man. Uh first time I've ever had snow, I was marching in it. Man, screw the snow. And then we're about to move to New Jersey. So and one of my favorite states to live in is Colorado. 
So I guess it just I felt like my teeth were going to crack when we were walking in the cold. Oh yeah, and then you would hit ice, and you would think that it was right on top of the pavement. Then you'd go through about an inch and a half, two inches of ice, and about break your <laughs> ankle. Wow. Well, I mean, I guess that's uh, that's kind of a good segue. That's kind of where your story is going to start, right? A little yeah. bit before that. Yeah, uh, a little bit before that, before I joined the Navy, um, I did go to college. Uh, so I joined the Navy a little bit later, um, kind of early 20s. Um, a lot of people tried to get in right after high school with the 18 mark. I think I was right around 22, 23. The, old, the, the older I get, the more the, the actual years and dates just elude me anymore. Um, yeah. But I came out of... Uh, you know, my early background, I was an only child, raised in a very strict Christian home, uh, got into college, kind of got got away from that. I was still in the church for a while, and then when I started having a little bit of my own free thoughts, they kind of pushed me out, and mm-hmm. being really involved in music and stuff, they pushed me out of that, and that was kind of my passion, so I switched gears towards fitness. Now, when you say they pushed you out, like you mean your thoughts or your your family? The the church, the, the church, the church itself. Okay, uh, that was okay. Kind of, uh, yeah, um, yeah. They once they kind of realized that I was thinking for myself and I wasn't just going to say, "Oh, okay, this is exactly what we're supposed to believe and this is exactly how we're supposed to do everything." When I started questioning things, they're like, "Well, you know, you were a great guitar player and all this, and you were a great <laughs> singer, but." we found somebody else and we're going to use them because basically because they're going to do, you know, yeah. Um, not a, is. not a square peg for a round hole. Right. They wanted a yes man. And I, yeah. I was, I am not a yes man. Um, but I'd always been into fitness and things like that and reading books. Uh, I actually came across the book lone survivor and mm-hmm. uh, that had came out and that was my reason to join uh, originally, I wanted to be a SEAL, and you know everybody reads the book wants to be a SEAL. Um, oh, crazy there's... people read it and they want to be a SEAL. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, so exactly... so did you did you read that and think I want to be a SEAL because he's badass, or did you like I want a purpose and this is my purpose? I wanted the purpose. Um, That's a good clarifier. Yeah, that for sure. I just it it fired something up inside of me. Like I just I want to go and serve my country and help the guys around me, make sure they make it back home. Like that was always my drive. Um, I'd always been into fitness, but once I read that book, it was like, okay, I'm going to the gym. I'm running six to eight miles a day. I'm doing all the workouts. And, uh, yeah, like that's I, the asshole that came in meeting his, uh, his standards for the fitness test. <laughs> Well, this, uh, so this point was actually, I had joined the delayed entry program, um, going for the seal contract and doing all that. And then I met a woman as I think we all have the story. Uh, she, she said, you're just too beautiful of a soul. You need to come back to the church and come back to music and all this stuff. And I'm just like, you know what? Uh, sure. Okay. And I, I backed out of the delayed entry program Uh, gave up the contract that I just spent all the time working for just walked away from it. And then I think it was like two months later, she and I broke up. So, you know, it was, (laughs) it makes it like dumb and dumber, you know, man, I thought it was going to be forever with great Felcher. And then like two weeks later, she sent me a John Deere letter and we broke up, you know, it's, it was just a real short lived thing. (laughs) You you think it's dear John, but it's, it's dear John letter. (laughs) 
You said clearly John you're not. Uh, uh, you're not up to par on your Dumb and Dumber quotes, are you? <laughs> oh, I, dumb, I'm, I'm oh, in. that was from a movie. Wow, I love Jim Carrey, and I did not know that. Sorry, yeah, I. Yeah, that's uh, sorry. I lost track there. I got. I'm I apologize. I got text that- messages coming in here um so anyways yeah uh broke up with the girl uh we'll get past my my dumb movie quotes here um <laughs> i apologize broke up with the girl uh spent some time i still was kind of doing the fitness thing had gotten away from music and uh i i think it was this was about a year out of college roughly and finding a job was just awful i was working in some plastics plant uh swing shift hating my life the recruiter calls me back and he's like, Hey, we got this opportunity with, uh, with the reserves and, uh, there we go. (laughs) All right. I got, I got what you're saying now. All right. Yeah. So, uh, so to clarify, we just had a three-way text message because Zach's beard was scratching on the microphone. Yeah, let's be transparent on this podcast. The, the more transparent we are, the better it is. Yeah, uh, beard life here. I just know the mic on my phone is awful, so I'm using this oh, one. Yeah. It's, it, it's not, yeah, not the best. The headphones is better. But uh, So anyways, the recruiter calls me and says, Hey, I got this opportunity with the reserves. You can do whatever you want. It'll give you a chance to, to be in choose your career you can still go for your seal contract or you could go for swick you could go for whatever you wanted and you have more control rather than going out full active duty and he just gave me this big big spiel just totally professional Tell you everything you wanted to hear everything i wanted to hear so i you know I, I went signed up shipped out um and then uh fast forward we're in we're in great lakes i'm looking like officer doofy because i was that guy who decided to grow a mustache as soon as you could out of boot camp uh, <laughs> a very terrible like i was hoping for tom Selleck, and it was just not happening for did me did you have any negative experiences in boot camp was it traumatic for you at all or uh it was definitely a big shock um i kind of touched a little bit on my background as far as growing up uh my parents were very religious they were very protective everything was bad uh, the way I was, I was raised, you know, um, anything outside of that small scope of what religion called for, basically, um, anything scary, anything new. Um, and I, I don't want to dog religion in any way, shape or form. Um, I think it's great for some people, for me, um, I found, you know, different paths of finding my own peace. Yeah, there's um, plenty of people that find strength in it, and there's others that find it as a crutch. Absolutely. Yeah, or, or handcuffs. I think it's all in how you're introduced to it mm-hmm. um, more than anything. Uh, but for me, it was all about driving fear. Um, fear of change, fear of anything new. And then, you know, it was just everything. Well, if it didn't happen, it just wasn't meant to be. There was no, well, maybe you just need to work for it. Mm-hmm. Which is where, like, joining the Navy was my, you know what, I'm deciding to work for it. Rather than something didn't work out, I'm going to work for it. Good and bad decision <laughs> in, a lot, <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, but, yeah, boot camp was, was a total eye-opener for me in, in a lot of ways of just, um, even though I'd been out in the world and I'd, I wasn't fully 
in the church and in the religion whenever I joined the Navy, uh, there were still just a lot, uh, there was a lot of the world that I hadn't seen, a lot of cultures I hadn't experienced, just the way people did things. Mm-hmm. There was just, it was uh, a culture shock in a lot of ways. So I have two questions real quick. One, what year did you join and uh, how long have you been out? And then when you were in boot camp, did you find yourself becoming religious again? Because for Chris and I, like we kind of did. You know, we use it as a, you know, as a got me the fuck out of the barracks is what it did. Oh, I became <laughs> Hallelujah. Super, I became yeah. super religious. I never really was, but in boot camp, I was like, you know, I gotta go on the right path, do what I need to do. You know, look, man, that was the only time I had a euphoric experience in church. I'm like, holy fuck, it's so nice out here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so nice. Kumbaya. Absolutely. Um. <laughs> I don't think boot camp really drew me more towards it. Honestly, from boot camp on, I got big into Buddhism and philosophy more than anything. Well, it um, makes sense because your whole life you had already lived that religious path. Yeah. So you, it seemed like you were already different. comfortable with moving on from it. So to fall back for it would have been counterproductive. Right. I, I think religion, and I actually just had this conversation with my wife. Um, cause she came from a, a com- completely opposite, but still fully religious, uh, upbringing. Um, and I said that for me, religion kept tell- telling you that, you know, there's hope and have faith, um, and don't worry, everything's going to be all right. But there was no instructions on how to make yourself better and how, how to not worry. It's like, okay, you can tell me not to worry, but how do I actually look at this situation in depth? Because situations are not just cookie cutter. You can't, to me, you can't go to, to a passage in a Bible and, okay, this exact situation where my ex-wife is doing this and then this is going to happen and I might have to go to court for this. It's like, I need something that can kind of apply to everything Mm -hmm. a little more specifically. Like how, how can I, how can I view this? And in philosophy, I found, um, ways to, train my mind a little bit and to actually look at situations for what they are. Now, did Um, you feel a sense of loss when you were transitioning out of the religion? Were you like scared to dip your toe in the water of, of losing that faith? No, I don't. I mean, as far as faith in, in a higher power, I don't feel like I've ever lost that. I think it's just the implementation of, of things through uh, modern day churches um, and people. Were you getting a lot of uh, negative feedback from your friends and family because you were taking this different path? Uh, more so family. Um, yeah. Even now, like, uh, I haven't seen my parents in over a year. Um, well, to me. Yeah. Yeah. We, we need to have a call just or just some have a lunch date <laughs> and catch up on some stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, my own deviation from the religion was was a big thing to them and they always bring that up and, and kind of try to bring me back to it. But, uh, I just don't see things eye to eye with them. Uh, if they l- lived it a little bit more just to be, you know, to be honest, they, they preach it, but I don't see the results that they're preaching. And I told, I've told them that a lot, you know, a lot um, and in life, you know, whether it's religion or not, hypocrisy is a hard thing to get past. Oh, Absolutely. 
I mean, we're all guilty of it, but it depends on the severity. You know, if I'm telling you don't do drugs, don't drink alcohol, and I'm going out and I'm doing all those things, that's a little different than me saying, you know, I, I don't know, don't, you know, don't speed and I'm going five over. You know what I mean? There, there's different levels of complexity to each one. Right. For me, it was like, um, like my parents would say, don't do drugs, don't drink, don't do this, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to because I don't want to end up like you, you know? like <laughs> <laughs> Right. Like I'm not doing it because it's bad. It's because I don't want to be like you. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh there's a whole rabbit hole I could go down on, on the religion side of things, but uh but there's definitely a lot of division. Me walking away from it and then um which I'm on my second marriage now. Um very happily married now. The first one, we can get into that a little bit later. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but my wife now was raised Jehovah's Witness. Um oh. and even though she hasn't practiced it in years, my parents are like, You're gonna marry someone who believes that and I'm like she doesn't necessarily practice it like she was raised that way, mm-hmm. but the person she is today is who she's chosen to be and who she's made herself, not what the religion told her to be, or she would be fully practicing it. Yeah. Um, that's caused awesome. a lot of, a lot of division uh, with them, whether they want to fully admit it or not um, publicly, they never would. Yeah. Uh, they'll probably never hear this podcast. So, um, well, you know, mentally that's like a big, like the way religion or anything that, you know, has a big um, philosophical aspect to it. There's a lot of ingrained training that comes with it. So there's a lot of mental going on in her head with that, that she was just raised on that. I mean, I'm sure you, I mean, from your experience, it takes a lot of time to get everything from that mentality out of your head. And some things never do leave. Yeah. Yeah. I I can see that. But honestly, um, kind of the funny part about it, the things that she still does have are things that she and I agree on 100%. Um, you know, she was raised to never really have or, uh, or practice like Christmas the way we would uh, as far as gifts and all that. Jehovah's Witness, her, they don't really practice holidays and all that. And for a long time, especially kind of after I got out of the Navy and went through some of the issues I did, I'm like, I don't really care about holidays anymore. Um, now, do you feel I, like that was the depression thing? Do you feel like? Well, um, I, we can skip the details. I'll get into a little bit of a dark place. Um, I so, rushed into so, it. Where were we at? I think we were at A school, right? You just. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're still at the beginning. <laughs> uh, we deviated our. So, so what happened after A school? And let's talk about your uh, Navy experience real quick. Like, uh, what happened after you got A school and uh, all that? Did you become a SEAL or SWIC or anything like that? What did you end up doing? Uh, well, I, I had hurt my back um, when I was okay. in. Um, had some issues. Um, I still haven't narrowed down the exact cause of it, but... Uh, all that working out. <sighs> It must have been, I think, just a combination of stressors and genetics. Uh, it was just a just a bad time. Uh, our, but... our A school was pretty stressful. Uh, we had a very intense regimen for workouts that the uh, our 
teachers wanted us to follow. I mean, we would do eight mile runs on lunch break. In any given school? Tuesday. Yeah. We'd go from, we were in Point Loma and we'd run from there to San Diego and back in a lunch break. Oh my God. It it's kind of ironic because Lambert, and he was the same rate as me. He was a mineman, but we ended up being right across the water from the SEAL base. We yeah, could that, see wow. him from our base. That was cool and depressing at the same time. That was definitely a, a mind <laughs> thing. Like, why am I here? Why am I doing this? <laughs> why am I getting locked down the city clothes because someone drew something in a hat? And uh, I, it just seemed trivial. Like, it was just... I felt like I, I made <laughs> the, the wrong... Oh, yeah. <laughs> we all got our privileges taken away in A school because uh, there may have been a a point or two where we threw a penis or three in, in everybody's caps. Nice. <laughs> I, I just have to bring up the fact, uh, which hopefully he gets on this podcast, but Deuce, uh, <laughs> he drew the most glorious one. It was like riding a rocket, I'm pr- it, or it was uh, a mine. It was, it was riding a mine out of the sky. It was it his was... gift to our principal when we graduated. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. That cat was, oh, he was on those. Oh, shit. Okay, so we made it to San Diego, and then you throw your back out. And I remember Think, that. Thinking it was just a muscle, you know, uh, thinking, oh, I just pulled a muscle. It, it, it's not that bad. They put, they gave me, I think, some pain meds or something, told me to walk it off, and I suffered through the rest of a school. And then we transitioned into the reserves in that time. And I still through probably, what was it? It was the first year of the reserves. I suffered through that, that back pain, um, and then had surgery. And then from the surgery on, uh, my time with the Navy was fighting medical. Uh, every month I would bring the paperwork they requested and every month they would tell me it wasn't good enough and I needed something else. And then it just got to the point to where I think that was, that was probably what another year or two, mm-hmm. probably close to two years that I fought that. Um, and you were married this whole time, right? I, yes, I was married to my first wife at the time. And that was a bad situation. That was one of those situations. Were you married before you went in or did you marry when you got home? No, we had a wedding scheduled. It was like three, actually the original date, got pushed back because they had told us we would be home in like February, January, mm-hmm. February. And it was like June or something that we got back. That's the same, like where I was <clears throat> depressed in boot camp because it went from eight weeks to 23 weeks. Lambert was the same rate as me. So he went in thinking he was going to be in for an eight week secondary school in Texas. And it's like, Oh shit, you're going to California. Yeah. They're like, Oh, that school's been closed down for like 15 years. We're like, and you haven't changed it in the paperwork? Like, <laughs> like what, what's going on with this? Oh, shit. And that's probably crazy to you because you were expecting to go to like SWIC or SEAL or something like that. And they don't tell you that even though you're a SEAL, you have a regular rate. Like, you have a regular job. Right. You know, like the guy from Lone Survivor. Like, yeah, he was a SEAL, but he also had, you know, a job title. Even wouldn't though he take, didn't wouldn't he like take in uh, machinist mates or master at arms uh, advancement exams? Yeah, I think it was MR, if I remember correctly. Do you remember, Zach? 
It was something like that. It was an I, engineer job. I know that. I remember that for sure. But I uh, now I think they do have the SO designation for yeah. special operator uh, yeah. to where that's their actual rate. And I think that they get trained in as a corpsman or whatever to yeah. um, kind of assist the, the SEAL units. Makes so much but, more sense. Yeah. Yeah. But you still have so, to go to that that particular job, you know, like so Yeah. I mean that was stressful. Especially being across from So the you're base, fighting man. with the Navy. He's I saw him doing this. He was every freaking drill weekend, this guy would come in with paperwork to validate the back pain he was going through. And then he'd have to go and deal with stuff on his off time. I remember one time he gave them a very important document with his social security number on it. And we walked by in a common area just to find it sitting out with all his information all over it. They, they just kind of, Oh, we forgot this here. And I'm like, that's, uh, was it OPSEC operational yeah. security? Like yeah. you, you guys push these, these, we watch these videos every drill weekend on it. And now you're leaving it out here. But uh, but that was a that was it was a terrible fight. I I fought them to prove that I was hurt, and then finally they actually pulled all the information from San Diego, and they had they had that, um, which that led later on to uh, service connection um, mm-hmm. and getting me hooked up with the VA, which is uh, actually in recent times been really awesome. But awesome. Uh, as far as for my civilian doctor, I mean I was spending my own money. Uh, so the Navy wasn't even footing the bill for this. No, going to all these appointments to the surgeon, to the, the family doctor, you know, constantly getting all this paperwork. And uh, do you have receipts? Somewhere, yes. Um, I actually, I still have a few divorce totes from the first marriage that I've been toting around every house. <laughs> I joke about them. But uh, there's so <laughs> much paperwork and so many things that I just literally packed up and left. Um. Whenever my if you have receipts, like, get out. If you have receipts, and all uh, on the D the VA, and you get disability for service connected disability, they should pay you back any civilian receipts, any any bills that you have left, because you you were filing it for this whole time. So right. if you have at, receipts. This, at this point, at this point, I'm just happy to be done with the back portion of it. Like I tell I'm good you now. I, I had a good, good surgeon. Um, and I, I'm, awesome. I'm as functional as I can be now. The, the biggest problems I have now are nerve damage from where I had to wait over a year to have surgery. Um, there's a lot of, uh, sciatica that still happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I have drop leg a lot. So when I'm walking, my foot will just kind of, my left foot will just give out. Uh, I'll, I'll kick stuff. Um, I might be walking across the floor and I accidentally kick my kid. Like, oh, sorry, kid. You know, my foot just didn't pick up and it's just dragging. Um, Dang, that's crazy. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of nerve damage. I can get deep on that. But uh, uh, yeah, that's that's the worst of my problems now. But I've, I've learned to live with it. and uh, Physical problems. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what happens next? We got uh, a school. You hurt your back. Fight, um, fight it in the reserves. I got, I had a good, 
I was attached to a good unit. I got to do some ATs and some, and some fun little things while I was in and, and do a little bit of service. Um, but not what I wanted, you know, I, I wanted yeah. a career. Um, and meanwhile, this whole time I've got, uh, my wife at the time, who's just like the, the Navy is shit. The Navy's ruined our lives. I don't know why you're even still in. I don't know why you ever did. I mean, just constantly negative. Um, my back was all in my head. She's like, you just need to get over it. You're not even hurt. You're not, you don't have any issues, nothing like just constant negativity. And how did that make you feel? Cause that's, that's your one person. That's, that's supposed to be your support your system. That's your support system. And it's like every, every little thing that's, you know, troubling you, it's like, it's getting minimized and downplayed. Well, I think, uh, I think you being in with me, Chris, uh, you saw the repetitive change between cigarettes dip. Um, yeah, that was probably the lightest side of things. Uh, definitely a lot of alcohol abuse. Um, and whenever I, before the surgery, when I was hurt pain meds, um, I started creeping into that life of, did you ever mix the two of them? Oh yeah. Yeah. I went down that started a pretty dark path of, you know, combining the two and using the pills in ways they shouldn't have been used. Um, just trying to numb whatever pain I could, not only physically, but emotionally. So, uh, um, trigger warning. Did you have thoughts of suicide or were you just trying to numb the pain? Numb so I came on this podcast because I hope people listen. Um, I actually had a bullet in my dresser drawer with my name on it the like entire you time. wrote I, your name on it. Yep. I was like, this one's for me. Whenever I'm ready, I had, uh, I had a note written out to my ex-wife, to my parents. Um, I had a whole plan. I had it all planned out. I was like, man, things just keep getting worse, getting worse, getting worse. They're never going to get any better at all. You know, I'm like, I'm just, I'm just going to, one day I'm going to end it. One day I'm going to get the guts to do it. Did you have a and, gun for the bullet too, or? Oh yeah, the the gun I shot all the time. You know, I I would still go out. The dream in the back of my mind to still be a seal was was still there, even though I knew that it was never a possibility. Not not necessarily just a seal, but to do something yeah. uh, com- combat related is where I wanted to go. It's what I wanted to do. Um, so you know, I would still go out and I would set up targets and I would practice and I would shoot and stuff. And Zach was a lot like you, Nate. Like he had a very he had a very strong intention to do something beneficial in the Navy. Unlike, you know, me, I was more, I was okay with it. I enjoyed it while I was in, but I wasn't looking to make anything serious of it where I think the both of you, I don't know if your intents always were to be doing a full 20, but you wanted to make a damn good impression for the years you were in. Yeah. I joined for a purpose and I was pushing a broom for four years. Like that's not what I signed up for really emasculating too you know oh yeah and to come home and um i remember coming home i think it was for christmas or thanksgiving you and i got a break yeah uh from att it was one of them and uh coming home and everyone's just like talking about how proud they are and i'm like i've literally been cleaning these stairwells yes (laughs) oh my god and doing math like i was really good at math that was it. Like I hated it. People would say, I'm proud of you, Nathan. You did a good thing. And I'm like, stop. Like, why? I'd yeah. write down, I had a little journal. And I'm like, people keep saying this and it's pissing me off. 
because why? I'm not doing anything. I had someone today thank me for their service, and I'm just like, why? <laughs> uh, yeah, I I'm one uh, when I get that, which uh, I don't really put the Navy in the forefront of of things. Um, I've come to learn it's more about who I am today than what I was. I've learned a lot from who I was, but I these days, um, and especially here after this last little mental break. Um, I've learned even more like it's, it's who I am today and it's what I'm doing today. Um, that defines me, not what I was. Mm-hmm. Um, I can learn from the past, but I don't have to live there anymore. So that so. little stint where you, you had the bullet in the dresser and you know, you had a plan that, well, you had a set plan and you knew it was going to happen maybe eventually, but just not sure when this note that you had for your wife and your parents, was it, do you feel like it was a resentful letter? Do you feel like it was, I'm sorry for what I'm going to do? Uh, how how do you think you approached this, and why do you think you approached it that way? I don't necessarily remember much about the letter to my parents, mm-hmm. um, but I do remember the letter to my ex-wife was, uh, in, in the best sense, a, a, a fuck you. <laughs> yeah, You weren't there for me. You were uh, 90% of the reason why this got as bad as it did. You know, putting the blame, well, not, uh, yeah, putting the blame, a lot of blame on her. Uh, it was not that it was her fault. Mm-hmm. I made the decision, you know, but when you get to that dark place, you start looking at nobody's helping me. Yeah. Nobody's reaching out. Nobody's you were even- a father at this time, right? You, you had already had your child. So this, this period was, um, so it was after the back surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was right before I found out I was going to be a dad. Okay. Which added a lot more stress. I'm sure. Is that what stopped you from doing it? So, um, I found out that my ex-wife was pregnant. I had already for a little while been, and I, I talked to my dad about it and I was contemplating leaving her. And I think it was uh, a little bit of a plan thing that, she miraculously forgot her birth control for four weeks mm-hmm. and ended up pregnant. Uh, so I, had you two talked about divorce before this? No, but I think she knew that we didn't talk at all. Hardly. That was one of the big problems. You know, we just didn't communicate. She was miserable. I think she, um, she thought I was going to be making a lot of money and all this stuff from the military. And it's just a misconception with women. And then they're mm-hmm. like, well, you know, I want to marry you so I can get your money. And then, she realized it well, was it no makes money. you feel worse too because you know you you go in with the intention of being a a provider and you know you hope that you can help support this family and then when you see that your wife is disappointed for the in the same thing you are it makes you feel even worse because it's like I wanted that just as much as you but now that I know that you're disappointed that I'm failing you that makes me feel even worse and it sucks oh, because yeah. it, it it probably felt like she was saying the stuff that you felt out loud to you. So it was like, you know, double hurtful. Oh yeah. It was like a, an avalanche of Mm -hmm. just bad emotions all the way around. I get that. Rather than uh, using the shovel to dig dirt out of the hole, we were just pouring some more in. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but the end of that period, it was it was within the first week or so finding out I was going to be a dad, and that really messed with me. I wanted to be a dad. 
I didn't want to be a dad with, uh, with my ex-wife. I didn't, I didn't want to have a kid with her. Um, and I remember she, she worked a job that she worked late in the evenings. Um, I remember I'd got off work. I was working a factory job at the time. Hated my life with that. It was just miserable every day going in, in there. Uh, it was hard on my back physically at the time, you know, being fresh with the surgery and all that stuff. It just, it just wasn't good. And, uh, I remember going in, getting a couple perks in me, um, grabbing a couple Bud Lights, sitting on the couch and just crying, um, uh, just sobbing. I'm like, I got nothing left. Like I, I got everything I've worked for. Everything I thought I would be working for is just, it's all just gone. Like I got nothing. And I walked back to the bedroom, reached in the drawer, grabbed the bullet, grabbed the Glock, put it in there and sat down on the end of the bed. And, uh, yeah, I was ready. I was like, you know what? I had the plan. I'll set the letters out on the nightstand. It's a little different than the plan was, but I'm just going to go for it. And I sat down. And I remember putting my finger on the trigger, pointing the gun towards my head. And if you're familiar with the Glock, it's got like the little, they call it the suicide trigger or uh, suicide safety mm-hmm. on it. Uh, there's just like a little piece of plastic there that might actually act as a safety. Not really. But I remember feeling that piece of plastic and the pressure of the real trigger just barely. And my phone rang. No shit. This is, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a trippy story. Um, my dad called me right in that moment as I was sitting there on my bed. Um, and I've already briefly touched on the fact that I was raised in a very, very Christian home. You know, mm-hmm. cuss, cuss words weren't a thing at all. And uh, I remember him, and, and, and or I picked up the phone. I said, what do you want? And He's like, son, I'm worried about you. You need to get your shit together. And to most people, I mean, how many times do you say shit in the day? Probably a hundred times or 50,000 times. If you're me, I, you know, I, I, I cuss a lot, but we're sailors. um, (laughs) Yeah. But, but to hear that come out of my dad's mouth and that was probably one of that was the first time in my lifetime that I heard him say it, not telling a story because he would say, it's okay. To, you know, here's the story of something somebody said or a mm-hmm. funny joke. That's a little bit off collar, but for him to just say that, and it just, it was just like something hit me and it's like, man, I can't leave this kid without a dad. Like that was my first thought was I need to be here for this kid, whether it's with someone I, I despise or not. Like I need to be on this earth for this kid and nothing else. Like if nothing else, forget the Navy career, forget everything else, you know, whatever job I hate, if I have to hate it for the rest of my life to make sure this kid's okay. Like those were the thoughts that started pouring into my mind. And, uh, had that call not come through, you think you would have done it? Oh Yeah. Yeah, I, I was I was one hundred percent to that point. Like, it just, everything seemed hopeless, and it always does. It never is, but when you're in that place, you can't see it. Mm-hmm. You, it, your nose is too close to see the whole painting. Yeah, you 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 need someone someone to reach out. And I heard a really cool quote. 
uh, here recently. Um, and it was talking about reaching out for help and asking for help. And it said, asking for help is uh, not failing. It's refusing to fail because you're, you're, we all need help from time to time. And if you oh, don't yeah. ask for help, you're just giving up on options. Help is a way to succeed. You know, asking someone for help is not saying I fail. I'm, I'm giving up. It's saying, no, I refuse to, I'm going to make it whether it's on my own, whether it's with this person, help me, whatever. Like it's, and that's hard for men. That That's really oh. hard for a man because <clears throat> you want to do everything on your own. You hate admitting defeat and you feel like asking for help is admitting that you can't do it on your own. Especially for veterans, because we're literally, I say anything related to the Navy, we're bred to be tough. Like, you have no feelings, you know, you're not allowed to feel anything, you know. So for veterans, it's especially hard, Uh, especially when you've been beaten down uh, so many times and they're like, it's it's tough, but that's the whole reason for this podcast. Uh, is so we can kind of break that stigmatism. Um, we can help people. It's uh, okay for three men to have this conversation. Totally, and to ask how oh, they yeah. felt in the moment. Um, oh yeah. Have have you you mentioned your relationship with your parents? Did you ever tell your dad that he saved your life? Yeah. Have you ever told him this? Yeah, we we've had that conversation. Um, once, maybe twice, um, since, since the time once seriously talking about it and it's been brought up maybe, you know, in passing another time, um, probably chose have, you, up. have you ever told anyone that besides him? I've told the story briefly, but to sit down and just be transparent with it, this is the most transparent I've ever been with the story. Um, just Big because, move. yeah, I, I, well, here recently, you know, I, um, I ended up divorced, went through the alcoholism and all that. Um, the, the thing for me was, uh, I spent so much time with my daughter, uh, with the schedule that my ex-wife chose to have, she was hardly there. Um, so I was in, in a sense, a single parent, you know, I, yeah. I had the kid all the time, 24 seven, she and I were together. And then my ex-wife decides, hey, uh, this isn't working. Uh, I don't love you. Uh, just get out before things get bad, were her, were her words. Um, this was after she had kind of asked to move into like an open relationship sort of status. And I'm like, we have a kid and I got married to be with you not us to be with everybody else. Like I'm just not, you know, that works for some people. It doesn't work for me. Um, it wasn't my thing. And then two days later, she's like, listen, I don't love you. Get out. You know? (laughs) Yeah. It was, look, can we have an open relationship? Cause I have this guy. He's kind of, he's kind of in the waiting room. You know, (laughs) she, she moved him in within, uh, two months. if, If not sooner. Um, yeah, that's a that's a whole whole rabbit hole to go down. I got I still have to deal with that whole situation. I try to be the better person in a lot of ways, but I just don't like the guy. Um, yeah, <clears throat> I'm not. He's a fan. around your daughter. I mean, he's going to be yeah. a father figure at least in that household. So it's hard for you to the really... feelings that you have are okay. Like, don't 
don't beat yourself up for those feelings, you know, like they're totally valid. Um, if you ever feel that way, you know, like as someone who grew up around divorced people the whole time, you know, it, it does affect the kid, but as long as they see who's happy, I promise you, your kid is doing fine. Oh yeah. Yeah. She's, she's doing really good. She was young enough when the divorce happened that she's, excuse me, <clears throat> that Chipotle is coming back here. <laughs> Bad decision. Uh, but she was, she was young enough that, that she's transitioned well in all this. Um, the divorced household is all she knows. Yeah. 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 She, she's seen pictures. Uh, and my ex-wife, I think has talked to her because, um, I'm remarried now. I've been remarried for two years. And uh, right before, uh, I was actually leaving for Destin, Florida um, for our wedding. Uh, and my ex-wife, start, when I was going to exchange, uh, come go to pick up my daughter. Uh, we were doing the whole shared parenting exchange thing in a parking lot. And uh, she starts bawling and, and asking for me back. And oh, no. I, I screwed up. And, and she said all this stuff. And I'm just this is like, right before you go to get married. Destination oh, wedding in Florida. Oh, yeah. I was 48 hours away from the wedding. And I was two hours away from hopping in the truck and driving south to Florida to get ready for the wedding. Um, but since then, my daughter has asked a lot of questions about things I know she doesn't remember. But I, but my ex-wife has kind of, you know... Twisted uh, the story? I think she pulled out some old pictures, honestly. So is the guy that moved in with her still in the picture? Yeah. Uh, I don't know the full story. I think they got married. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't delve into her personal life a whole lot anymore. Uh, it, apart from it affecting my daughter. I mean, I know he's there, whether they get married or, or not. Now... I do kind of keep tabs because he left for a little while. They kind of broke up. I'm assuming it's probably because he found out that she was kind of wanting me back. Um, I keep enough tabs that I don't want him in and out. I don't, you know, I will say something like stability wise to her. Like I don't want her to, my daughter to see an unstable household. Like, you know, just because I don't like the guy, if he's going to be there, He's been there for a while. If he's going to stay, stay. Just now, do you feel like it. as a father, you got a pretty uh, favorable parenting agreement, like 50-50 time, child support? Like, was it pretty favorable, or do you feel like you kind of got? I feel like it's pretty favorable. Um, she decided the schedule, and it's not the best, but it does equal out pretty much 50-50 time. Um, it's not enough, though. I think that's Never one thing is. I can touch on. Like, uh, I just don't get these guys who are shitbag dads that want, you know, Wednesday evenings and every other weekend. Like, I just, I, I don't, never, I don't I get that. Never. Like, I, I, like, if, if my ex-wife said, "Take her, just take her full time," I can't handle this. I, I would, I would be the happiest man on the planet. Uh, that would just that would delight me more than anything because that was the thing that, uh, it keeps a lot of men in unhappy marriages because unfortunately the court systems are still kind of the point where the mother calls the shots when, when it's over. Yeah. But, (coughs) but I don't think I ever once mourned over the loss of my ex-wife. Like it was just a bad, it was a bad relationship. It wasn't something that I ever, 
in the divorce process sat there and thought, man, I miss her. I'd like to just go on one more date or work things out. Like once that was done, it was done. That was almost a relief. The relationship side of things, the entire big issue for me was the, the parenting thing. I didn't want my daughter to grow up in that environment of a split household. And I didn't want to be away from her. I would, I would have endured anything to have seen her every day. Um, but looking back now, like it did work out for the best. Um, it, seeing the things that probably could have happened and could have just been way worse. Um, Cause yeah. the guy that's there now is clearly in the picture or clearly was in the picture the whole time and had he been there for a f- the same amount of time. And I still been with my ex-wife and found out about it. It could have been a lot messier yeah. if my daughter could have mm-hmm. under- understood everything. So Excuse you. Yeah, sorry about that. So you have the divorce. You had this harrowing moment with the, with the bullet in the dresser. So it sounds like the period after the divorce, it was kind of relieving, and then it built up to your new wife. Was there any dark periods in that sandwiched in there, or was in it be- kind of a... In between the divorce and the, and the new wife? Yeah, was it kind of just a period of bliss, or was, was there a little bit of a up and down road there? Like I'm a single guy, yay! Or is it like crap, man? Like, I I bought a Harley. I did the thing, you know. <laughs> midlife uh, crisis in your twenties. Yeah, midlife <laughs> crisis in my twenties. Um, but it was hard to really cut loose and 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 be that that party guy, you know. When I was waiting every second for Saturday morning when I went and got my daughter. Yeah. Um, Did you feel guilty for all the free time you had? Yeah. Then that's where, like, I, I started drinking. I would stop and pick up a six or a twelve pack. It started with a six pack. Um, the nights I didn't have my daughter, and it, it started with a six pack, and I could probably kill a twelve pack by myself uh, on those evenings uh, when I didn't have my daughter, just because there was a lot of emotions, guilt. Um, not knowing what to do with free time, feeling guilty if I did do something in my free time. Was uh, there any anger? Oh yeah, there was. There was all kinds of anger, uh, especially dealing with the new divorce agreement and all that, and just transitioning. And um, I was a little bit mad at myself, um, more so just mad at the situation. Yeah. Um, but meeting my new wife was one of the best things ever has happened period in my life um she's leveled me out helped me realize where i need to chill out so i'm a little bit of a ocd kind of guy in some ways like i have to have a plan um some of it ingrained from the military a lot of it more so from my upbringing just this is how things are supposed to be this is how they're going to be it's going to be structured um and if they don't work out everything falls apart and my wife now is, is she's taught me to, um, to float in essence. I just watched the vacation friends with John Cena. I <laughs> highly recommend that movie for a good laugh. And he's telling the story as a green beret. And he said that they airdropped them out in the middle of the ocean. Um, and he was watching all these guys fight the current and fail and, and have to be picked up or, um, just not make it not not cut the course all this stuff and 
he said he realized just float just ride the waves and I'll get where I need to go and that's something um that to me watching that movie it was kind of an epic moment in the, in the middle of a comedy and I'm like that's kind of what my my wife now taught me to do uh when we first got together and even up until now it's just things aren't always going to go the way you plan mhm so <clears throat> You got to ride the waves. You got to, you got to adapt to situations. Sometimes the way that's not planned ends up better. Oh yeah. Like where I'm at now is, is a great place. Um, You may not have your daughter all the time, but when your daughter sees you, you can be happy and productive. Cause here's the thing. She was born either way, but, and you two were going to be her parents no matter what. So, it is what it is at that point. She was either going to be stuck in a situation where she saw two unhappy people coexisting, or she can see productive relationships in a happier situation and just see each parent a little less. Yeah. Yeah. That That's how it's worked out for sure. I mean, uh, so continue with the timeline. I meet my new wife now. Um, she and I, we, we kind of grew up together in the sense of I had kind of hit that party life a little bit. She was in a phase where she'd went through a bad breakup and she was in the bars too. And, uh, we both kind of joined up and, and drank a lot and partied a lot. It was more in a positive manner than what I'd been doing. Still the both of us were dealing with some things, but. Now was um, this like a friendship at first or was it always more of a relationship? Well, it kind of started out. We were, we were buddies. Um, Netflix and chill type buddies. Uh, if you catch my drift, um, which that lasted about that lasted a very short period. I, I knew when I met her that I really liked her and I wanted a relationship, but um, you weren't ready for it yet. I mean, the divorces fuck you up because you you think about all the things you did wrong, what you might have done, and you're like, I don't know if I, I'm really ready to commit to another thing or if I'm adequate for it. I mean, at least that's some of my my miscomings from all my past relationships oh yeah yeah definitely you're like we both told each other like she's like i'm not girlfriend material and i'm like i'm not really boyfriend material but it was kind of one of those things where like we'll hang out and see what happens but uh the cool story about the whole like talking about the whole float theory um so we had been the buddies for a while just you know call me up let's hang out i'll go home you know uh, that kind of situation. And she said, she'd had a stressful day, found out some things. And she's like, listen, this weekend I need to get out of town. I'm going to Savannah, Georgia. Um, she kind of has some connections down there, a place to stay and all that. She's like, I'm going to Savannah. Um, if you want to see me this weekend, you can either come with me or you can stay here and I'll see you when I get back. And I said, you need a ride I'll You know, I'll, we can take my car down. Our first official date outside of just hanging out was uh, a 10-hour drive to Savannah, Georgia for a three-day weekend, Veterans Day weekend, to beat <laughs> all. So that was that was a little bit of destiny right there. Uh, we tell people the story that, that our first actual date was down there, and they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, it's riding the wave. Like, I had nothing else to do. had nothing to lose. Like, let's go with it. Uh, apparently, I got drunk down there. Um she spent over $400 on Jameson 
Bushmills, all kinds of Irish whiskey got me just hammered. I mean, absolutely hammered. I was, uh, stay, I barely remember standing at the bar. My knees were buckling. She's like, do you want to go home? Or no, she said, do you want to sit down? And I said, if I sit down, I'm sleeping here. You got to take me home. <laughs> and she ended up driving me back. And apparently on this drive, I just poured my heart out and I'm like, I like told her how much I really liked her and how I, I thought she was all, she said, I told her I loved her. Um, but no one was there, you know, uh, picture, picture. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> so do you feel like, not that I want to promote, promote alcohol, but this is maybe one of those instances where it worked out. Do you think you would have had the courage to say all those things to her if you hadn't have had the alcohol in your system? It definitely would have happened. I definitely would have told her. Um, this just makes for a way funnier story, you know, uh, moving forward. Um, she gets a good laugh out of telling it because I didn't find out that I, you know, told her I loved her until it's been within the last like eight, 10 months that she told the story. She's like, you don't remember that? I'm like, no, like I, I'm the type of person. Once I get to like just a moderate point of drinking, like my memory's out the window. At least um, your memory loss came out of something good. Every time <laughs> I drink and I lose memory, my clothes end up off. So, <laughs> No, I've, I've had a couple instances. Makes her clothes fall off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's some stories about me. I'm, I'm sure we've all got them somewhere. Um, oh, shit. But yeah, even in our... Uh, so we were together for about a year and then um, decided that we wanted to do the marriage thing. Things were going extremely well. And then uh, we got engaged and the next year we rolled right into, I was uh, at a mediocre job. I switched jobs. We bought a house. We were getting married. And we started remodeling this barn for our reception. We had so much stuff going on this one year. Um, this Between the period of meeting her and this moment, it was kind of the biggest gap in like a little bit of a mental breakdown uh, that I had. And there ended up being one night uh, that I just kind of lost it. Um, I'd been, I, I just wasn't communicating. Truthfully, the, the, I'd taken this time and I was doing well, but I wasn't working on myself. Things had worked out well. So I was happier, mm -hmm. but I never really took the time to work on my own mental health or my own well being. Um, and as we have a great relationship, but even the greatest relationships still, you got to remember to communicate and, and make effort. Like if they're going to work and they're going to last, you have to talk. Yeah. And I wasn't talking to her and she was, wasn't talking to me. We were lost in the stress and, um, like we were getting ready to call it quits. Like, you know what, let's call off this wedding, all this stuff. And I started packing my stuff out the door and, uh, her mom has this living boyfriend, kind of guy he's been around for years she said we're not together he just lives here but he's one of those guys that you either love him or you hate him like he's either so epically awesome or so epically not and uh he had came over for something and i dropped i dropped a pair of underwear in the driveway and he walks out and he's like man you're gonna regret this you don't need to be leaving you just need to calm down just said this epic stuff and then you know obviously Things instantly got better. We talked that day. We both stood in the kitchen and cried and just like opened up about a lot of stuff. 
And honestly, as a man, crying is like people look down on it so much when a man cries, but sometimes you just got to let that shit out. I've had some of the most growth I've ever had in my life after crying. When's the last time y'all cried? Uh, A week ago. I could say it's been within the past month for me. For sure. On Monday. Yeah, I... uh, I don't quite cry. Uh, sorry, I don't cry as frequently, um, but I'm not afraid to when I need to, and I think that's the key thing. Yeah, um, it's such a tension release. Yeah, it, it really is. It it just especially for me because it takes so much build up. Like I, I I may cry once a year, once every six months, but it's like it's a valve that's been having pressure build up and build up and build up and. It's like a hose outside where yep. you turn on when you turn the water on, but you haven't released the notch on the spigot yet from the exit end. So it's just tension is just getting so high, and then you release it, and then it's like, oh, this this needed to be let go ages ago. Yeah, I'm an ugly crier because of that. <laughs> Get your it's... abdomen into it. It's fucking oh, it's therapeutic. Yeah. The worst is when it like randomly happens at work and everyone's like, Are you okay? And it's just like, I don't know. We're like <laughs> Yeah, I honestly I would probably say the last time I cried was at work. Uh, yeah. I was uh I'd hit mental the mental breakdown number two since meeting my wife, uh, to where i again it, it just comes down to doing things but not fixing things inside yourself like i think you can make situations better and you can make some good habits but until you literally sit down and work on your mind and and think about what you're doing why you're doing it um and who you're doing it for uh one thing i've done here lately i'll get on this topic uh i've been off fully off facebook instagram all social media i still have the apps but they're 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 hidden from my home screen. I haven't, I haven't logged on. Um, and it's been about a month and it's been the best time of my life. Um, it's so easy these days, especially as a man to get sucked into social media and feeling like there's a standard you have to live up to, or you have to impress this person or you have to make these kind of posts. So you look cool. So you look like a man or so you're helping people or whatever. But at the end of the day, I think social media. I think social media is a great thing, but when it stops becoming a tool and starts becoming uh, almost an, a, a crutch and something obsessive, um, and occupying your time, like I have I, that I, problem. I I, I, I would it find myself be something you should go to for a specific purpose rather than when you have no purpose whatsoever. I I caught myself doing the the, the mindless scroll. So many times I would be at work and and then I would be like, well, I don't have time for this and I don't have time for that. And a lot of the the buildup of this last breakdown is like we, my wife and I now own a business. Um, it's an event venue. There, there's a lot of little things that need to go into it. Uh, she does all of the, the PR, the messages and things like that. And I... Um, help with you know a lot of the manual labor stuff whatever needs built whatever needs fixed the the landscaping all that stuff um 
the stuff just kind of piled up and, and I kept saying this business is too much. This business is too much. I can't handle it. I can't handle it. But I really wasn't doing anything. I really wasn't doing the jobs that I needed to do. I just knew they were there. You were thinking about the stress of, of them, but not completing them and getting that alleviated from your brain. Because it was so easy to sit on the couch and start scrolling Instagram and say, well, you know what? I don't have the time. I don't have the time. And then now like taking that time off, like I've, I've read almost two books, um, which it's been years since I've read a book and I've been reading some good books. Um, I've got multiple little projects done just so many things. Uh, and I realize it's like the other day there was a sink full of dishes and I'm like I'm sitting there. I look at my phone, I look at those dishes and I get up and I wash them. And that would have been something that I'm like, I just don't have time. Mm-hmm. I just don't, I don't, I don't have, I don't, there's not enough, there's not enough time in the day to, to do this stuff. And I wash those dishes and, and from looking at my phone to what I basically checked my phone to check the clock uh, before I got up and I came back and it was like six minutes, six minutes of my day. But that six minutes took stress off because when my wife come home, there wasn't a sink load of dishes. When we needed to cook dinner, we had everything we needed. It relieved a lot of stress and mm-hmm. uh, just getting the things done. It, 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 it gives you freedom. Like it gives you the freedom to do the things you want to do. And being off social media, being off the phone has just opened up. It's like I have a whole new life. <laughs> it's really weird and I never would have thought it would have came to that point of seeing how much better life is without it but it truly is It can social media consumes most of us all the time Oh, and you're very lucky that you can do that like I've tried to do social media breaks so bad but like I'm like admins and groups and now starting this podcast like I need a social media break but I just can't get away from it you know, like most people, tough. people I've talked to that are kind of in your situation, it they said there's a specific time. They say, I've, I need, I need to get this, this, and this done. They sit down for, they say, okay, three hours out of my day, I'm mm-hmm. going to do this. And then outside of that, when I'm done, I'm done. Yeah. Have office hours. You can yeah. only contribute to this social media thing between the hours of six and four or whatever. And you know, when that time period is up, I'm not going to look at it. Yeah. I might have to be there tomorrow. Cause it sounds like it's helping you. I've tried and I tell my wife all the time and I'm like, I just can't like, I'm, I have so many things that involve social media. And then I find myself scrolling through TikTok. Yeah. That that's the biggest thing. And like, I looked around, like I, I was at work, I was out in the store and I'm just looking at everybody restaurants and I'm like, nobody is living. Nobody is actually seeing what's going on around them. Did your wife take a social media break too? Cause I know that when I did it, I started finding kind of resentment when she was on her phone. Yeah. Um, I had that for a while and I, I kind of got a little aggravated with her about that. Um, but, but she's kind of like in a similar situ- situation to Nate with her being PR for the business. She's got to be on it just a bit more than you. Yeah. 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 But <clears throat> I just had to come to the point to where I realized like there's a lot of things that need to be done, but that doesn't mean I can't take my like, and I would be to the point to where, all right, well, she's on hers. So I'm going to get on mine to occupy my time. And then I 
and then it just progressed into this thing to where I was on social media more. It just, it just, it was just a bad snowball effect for me. Um, I totally feel it. I when, totally when it, it's, it's not my job to work on other people. It's my job to work on me. And I think that's, I think as men, we look at other people, we're, we're fixers, you know, yeah. the kitchen sink is broke. What do we do? We're going to fix it. You know, um, the lawnmower belt came off. We're going to fix it. They, they say that's one of the biggest miscommunications with men and women, because if, um, I mean, not to generalize, there can be men that are this built this way too, but you know, if, if a woman comes to you and says, honey, I had such an awful day at work. Julie did this and then Brad was giving all me all these reports to complete and rather than shutting the fuck up and listening as a man our first instinct is well why are you fucking taking that from Brad tell Julie to go back in her cubicle we we give them solutions to this problem when all they want is just somebody to talk to and to listen yeah what whether it's i used uh physical examples but it's emotional examples too we want to fix that is you know perfect example you gave like that, that was a good one chris Thank yeah you. instead of just listening mm-hmm. you know rubbing their shoulders letting them talk just letting them vent and thing is as men we need that too but yeah we because we're the fixers we don't realize it and it you know yeah. we may not need it as often but it's men not seeking out moments like this that have them sitting on their bed with a bullet with their name on it and a gun pressed to their head. Absolutely. I, and I think, I think we, we focus on fixing everybody else, but we never look inward at ourselves and want to fix that problem because we're too prideful. We're, we're prideful or just for it's me, how it's, we were raised. I mean, it's yeah, just... you don't, you don't worry about you. You're, you're made to take care of others. You either say that your problem's not that important. You say it's, um, it can get dealt with later. You minimize the severity of it. <clears throat> There's always time to fix it later. Yeah. So Zach, on that note, how is your, how's your mental health today? Like today, I would say I'm the best I've been in 10, 15 years. Um, I'm, I found a good support group, uh, of people. Um, I've got a coach, uh, I do strongman now. Um, I'm into fitness, like I said earlier, and, uh, I found strongman. I'm not the strongest guy out there, but I, I like picking up the, the stones and the log and stuff like that. I, I can't go as heavy as everybody else, but I like it. Uh, mm-hmm. And I got a coach to help me so that I can not hurt myself. I can do it right. I, I can grow. But uh, I, I I actually, I credit where I'm at now and coming out of this little mental break to my coach. He's just such an awesome dude. Super off the wall. Super crazy. Um, but uh, I text him because I was looking at my finances. And I'm just like, I can't afford to to keep doing this, you know, cause you pay a coach, you know, you, you, it's not a free thing. And I'm like, I just can't do this. I just can't afford it. And I was just, it was just coming off that. It was that the start of that avalanche that we talked about before of depression mm-hmm. of things are just starting to cloud me and I can't see a solution to it. Yeah. And I text him 
and he almost like he's a he has over eighty five clients. He's very busy. He's pretty good about getting back with you. Uh, it's all he does is coaching. Um, but a lot of times I might text him on a Tuesday evening, hear from him Wednesday afternoon, Thursday morning. He's just very busy. Um, and he, he puts his priorities, you know, business is business. And, uh, when he gets time, he gets back to me, but I, I text him and I'm like, I just, I don't know if I can do this. And he called me up and he's like, what's wrong? What, what's going on? Well, you know, what, 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 what's up with you? And I just instantly start crying. Like I just lost it. Um, and I kind of talked to him a little bit, but I'm like, dude, I'm in the office. Let me call you back after work. He's like, he's like, whatever you need, whenever you need to call, he's like, I'm going to answer. And he did. And I talked it out with him and he directed me to start reading like Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, some of these philosophers. I've already been kind of into Buddhism, a little bit, but that wasn't something I super read into and practiced over the years. And once he, once he called me and he told me, he's like, these guys will just help you put things into perspective. And, um, one of the first phrases I read from Seneca was, it's not that life is that short, but that we waste a lot of it. And that was, that was kind of the quote that kicked me in the nuts and said, get off social media. Stop wasting your minutes on that yeah. stuff. And mm-hmm. I had, I had spent a lot of time in that comparing myself to other people. And Marcus Aurelius, I've read through his book Meditations uh, over the last month. And repeatedly, he's like, don't compare yourself to other people. Worry about what you're doing right now. He said, think about what your purpose is, what you want to be and what you want to accomplish. Well, and a lot of the times, you know, it sounds cliche, but the shit you're seeing from these other people, it's like a scrapbook. It's the best possible. They're not going to show you the shitty aspects of their life or the shitty times. You know, you're seeing the best thing that they have. Right. If, you know, for me, it's lifters. If, if uh, you know, if someone has a good, a good deadlift, you know, they, they pull like 700 pounds or something. They're going to post that. They're not going to post where they failed 12 times at it or, they're not going to post where they just had their car repossessed. Yeah. <laughs> they're not, they're not going to post where they just, you know, went through a breakup or they just cheated on their, uh, their girlfriend, all that other stuff. All you see is snippets of people's life and you think that they're perfect, but they're not. Yep. Yeah. And it, it develops. And when your life is spiraling, it develops jealousy. It's like, what, why are they doing so good? And I'm over here mm-hmm. fucked up, you know, like, that that can develop a mental break in your head as well. So, yeah, know. a social media break is something that could probably help a lot of people, men and women. And I, that's something I would recommend to, if, if anybody can relate to the situations I've been in and they're at a point now to where it's just, everything's clouding over, just shut the phone down, make it a tool, shut off all your notifications, phone calls and text messages. And I mean, if you're a businessman, check your emails, but the way I see it, if you can't reach me through emails, text message or phone calls, I probably don't need to talk to you. We're not, you know, yeah. um, for the most part, uh, I, I still do have messenger, which is actually how Chris got hold of me. Cause I got yeah. a new number. Um, but the majority of the time 
I don't get anything on Messenger anymore because I've ignored people for so long on there. I just I've just shut it down. Like uh, even before this break, like I shut Messenger down, and it was great. It was great, and then this is great now. And I would like when I return to social media, I've told myself I want it to be a tool, um, whether it's mental health related, whether it's fitness related, whether it's you know just family related, good good vibes to put out there. I don't want to just make random posts and random stories because let's face it, who gives a shit how many times I bench press or how many times I deadlift or how many times me and my wife go out for beers. Like if you post that every day, people are going to scroll right past it. Yeah. I want to come back with a purpose and the things I've learned from my mistakes and my breakdowns. I want to bring something to the table like, uh, Terry, my coach, like he did for me, like he, you know, he got me into philosophy and, um, he just really helped me out, uh, in more ways than, than I can get into just, but he was that, that hand that reached out, you know? Oh yeah. And looking at ourselves needing help. We also need to look at reaching out, like look for the signs. Um, yeah. Cause it seems like you're not one that likes to offer yourself up either. So, you know, your dad didn't call you. You wouldn't have had that conversation with him if he hadn't have been like, you know, what's, what's going on? Why, why are you, you wouldn't have broke down and cried because you would have been able to keep that mask on just long enough to make it through that phone call. Oh yeah. I, I have been the master of, of hiding this shit for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and so, he, my, my wife now is like, like after I had a little break one time, not a major one, but uh, yeah, I'd had some fireball with a buddy, uh, guy from high school who was a Marine, and we got started talking about the military. And then uh, I broke down. I was, I was actually it was St. Patrick's Day, crying on a park bench in Savannah, Georgia, in a kilt, you know. And my wife's like, "I didn't realize you were even struggling that hard." I'm like, "When you deal with it, you're good at hiding it for the most part." unless you know the signs to look for. And Absolutely. With that, have you, um, have you thought about therapy? Any like are seeking professional help in helping your mental health? I know like coping it, coping with your yourself now and being in a good place is fine, but you're still bottling everything up. Does that make sense? In a sense, yeah. Uh, I think I'm getting better at... I'm working every day because I know that it it takes... Uh, we as humans, we're, we're the most for, forgetful creatures. You know, we can read something and walk away and forget it uh, mm. so quickly. We can learn... A, we can stick our finger in a light socket, get shocked, and then for some reason decide that it, it may not happen this time and, and do it again. But I'm working every day to just be more straightforward if I think it, I say it. And because yeah. there's really, there should be no fear in saying truly what's on your mind. But as far as help, um, I reached out to the local VA and I'm set up with a, a mental health appointment coming up here. Uh, even though things are good, I just want to continually That's the best work. time to work on it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, keep it good. You know, keep yeah. it to where, I don't start back down that path, continually improve. Um, 
yeah, and just just get better moving forward. Uh, I've already seen so many changes here lately in life, and I just want to continue that. Because like I, I started to talk at one point, like you got to remember why you're doing the things that you're doing, what your purpose is. Marcus Aurelius talks about that a lot. And I, I love that he brings that up, remembering your purpose and, and doing the things that matter, do what matters. Mm-hmm. And I just ask myself, I'm like, what do I want to do? What do I want to accomplish? And number one, being a dad, being a father. Yeah. Outside of that, does it matter if I have a huge Instagram following? Does it matter if, uh, you know, I buy us a yacht or I take us on 10,000 vacations a year? No. What matters is that mentally I'm in a good place for my wife, for my daughter, and that I'm here, that I can lead an example and do good things and show them. Because life is crazy. Life's never going to be perfect. But being there for them and being an example um, is a huge motivation. And it's just the biggest motivation. Just remembering that purpose. And that just keeps me really stepping back and realizing that no one can, can fix me, but me, people can help me realize I need that help, but I'm the one who has to put the effort in every day to say, you know what? Things aren't that dark. I can't affect what happens to me, but I can affect how, or I can control how I respond to it. Yep. And, uh, the way I want to respond to even these good times is to keep growing. Keep being that example for, Those for my little family. Little improvements are so important because it's like even these minor, minor little steps help every bit. Like a lot of the time, what starts a depression is you feel like you're inadequate. You feel like you're not contributing to whatever relationship or situation you're in. You feel useless. That is a big driving factor for depression. And if oh, you yeah. can find a minor thing that you can do whether it take the six minutes to do the dishes, take the dog out on the walk, mow the lawn. If you can do something with a little bit of effort or energy that you have left in you, that one thing can make you feel better about yourself. Oh, tremendously. It's like, uh, I always have seen people reference and and it's kind of a biblical reference. Like no matter how dark it is, Honestly, the darker it is, it only takes a little bit of light and you can see it. Sometimes when things are brighter, you don't, when you're surrounded by good things, you you see them and you take them for granted. But when it's dark, all it takes is that little light for things to start getting brighter. Yep. Like you said, do one thing with purpose. Well, that's awesome, man. I'm... I'm glad you're in a good spot and uh, I'm glad you're here and uh, I hope you do get the mental health from the VA. Uh, I hope everything stays good. Uh, I believe it is. It sounds like you have your head on straight. Yep. Uh, I'm, uh, I just know I got to keep it on straight every day. That's what I've realized now. So yeah. things are good. Well, that's awesome, man. Um, well, well I, I have to do my tagline, you know, we have to plug this number every single time. Not everybody has an omniscient father like Zach. So if you feel like you're in that dark spot, you feel like there's a bullet sitting in your dresser with your name on it. You need to call 
800-273-8255. That's a suicide hotline. Guys, if you can't reach out for anything, be this the one thing you reach out for. Or call 911. Yep. Yep. Even, even easier number to remember. But uh, Everyone wants you to spot, live. Everyone wants you to live. Even yep. if you don't want to yourself. There's no suicide that has n- no victims. There's no suicide that only has one victim. Jeffrey Epstein didn't even kill himself, so... on that note zach i just want to say i love you man i love you guys definitely (laughs) yeah i'm glad you had me on here